Welcome to episode 714 of I Am Talk, your weekly fix in all things Iron Man. Radio team, welcome along to episode 714 of I Am Talk with Coach John Newsom and Bevan James Zoles. How you going, mate? Pretty good. I actually, we had an email earlier this week from Peter Colson pointing out that I think we think it's our 14th birthday either around about this week or last week. So happy birthday, Bevan. Oh, mate, yeah, it is crazy. 14 years. 14 years of our life. We've caught up pretty much in every... I think we only missed... We've never missed an episode, have we? I think so. We, we we've done a bit of replaying, but uh, but yeah. yeah over we've the had... Christmas period, we do do that. But basically, there's always been a show go out on every Tuesday for 14 years. That's not too bad, mate. That's not too bad. I am talk is proudly brought to you by our patrons. Just name a few, Jumbo. Paul Mango Mad Moore. Mango Mad. We've got Christine the Grinder McKinley. And Chris, the Combustor Apple. Oh, very good work. And this week's show, we've got some news. We've got Hot Topic of the Week. Uh, we've got an interview with the writer of Peak, a man by the name of Dr. Mark Bubbs, a very good book that I uh, read. I really, really enjoyed it. So I got him on the show, and I've got an interview with him later on the show. And then we've got uh, Website of the Week, Winger of the Week, and Questions and Answers. John, the big piece of news that we had this week was that Ironman have announced the adjustments to the slot allocations for the 2020 Ironman World Championships. So what's what's the goss here, John? Oh, in essence, they've kind of extended the qualification period slightly. So normally you, you might sort of finish the, period, the qualifying in maybe mid-August and, and races that are beyond that um, are going to qualify you for, for the next year. So what they've changed is uh, Ironman Canada, which is August 30, uh, along with Ironman Kazakhstan and Ironman Vichy, which are also both in August. They're now going to have additional slots. Um, so they're going to have 60 slots for the Kona World Champs um and and yeah so it's basically just meaning they're trying to do everything they can to try to get uh people qualified for kona given that so many races have been cancelled so of course not a perfect situation but you know they're just trying to do the best that they can people will be criticizing them because you know you're racing in august and then you've got to race again in october but look, they're just trying to make the best of the situation so uh yeah there's going to be it's going to be if if kona happens it's going to be a bit of a unique beast this year with a lot of uh legacy athletes which is great um but fingers crossed the event actually happens there's a question for you John do you think it'll be the easiest year to qualify for Kona um well at those events I don't see why at those events it would be any easier but surely to there's going to be a lot more slots oh that's true yeah so there's going to be additional slots um so in that respect yes it probably will be a bit easier at those particular races especially as well because for a lot of people like New Zealand you aren't travelling the rest of this year unless there's a vaccination you aren't travelling for a long time so a lot of races a destination races for people, so more local people, you know, will we have to get those slots if there are more slots at their race? Yeah, so going to be interesting. Well, the question Obviously. is when do races start again, but we don't know that at this stage. John, Challenge Championship has been postponed to August. <coughs> no real surprises there. 
No, no surprises. So they were the holding out. So uh, hopefully the Challenge Championship will, will kick off in, uh, later in the year. And, you know, it could be a re- another really, really solid event for people that are building towards Kona, um, for, especially for the pro athletes to, you know, make it a proper championship type race at that time of the year. So especially when this year we're not going to have the 70.3 Worlds uh, happen before Kona. You know, normally that's maybe in that sort of five to six weeks out from Kona and we get a really high quality field with a mix of ITU athletes, a mix of 70.3 specialists and your Ironman athletes. This year that's not going to happen. And again, we have our fingers crossed that the, the 70.3 Worlds will happen in November. But the championship, you know, with good money on offer. Hopefully it happens in August and we, we see another good showdown. Yeah, I've just had a thought here. The 70.3 World Championships are happening in Tekapo or Taupo this year. Tekapo? Jeez, that'd be interesting. Hey, be, never... That'd be pretty cold, wouldn't it? <laughs> that lake in the, in the middle of summer is Arctic. <laughs> it's a beautiful place to do a race. Um, there's a high chance it won't happen because there won't be a vaccine. Cause oh, the, totally. You know, like, because so right now, if you come to New Zealand, you have to, you have the government put you in a hotel room for 14 days before you can even get outdoors. So, um, even if we do see the side of this where it's maybe in a much better place, we can, at this stage, it's probably, probably highly unlikely we're going to see this race happen. Stop speculating, Bevan. We'll just wait and see what it's going to unfold. But I agree with you. Yeah, interesting. Well, that would be sad because it's such a good opportunity for New Zealand, for triathlon New Zealand at least. Okay, John, we had someone has been done being a dirty drugs cheat. And he's taking a hammering, this this professional, Daniel Sapinov, um, who is a pro athlete from the Ukraine. He's been around for a long time doing ITU um, races. And he was one of those athletes that, but yeah, a bit second tier, but still really competitive. You know, the, like the second tier races who lots and lots of podiums, lots and lots of top tens. And uh, people, especially quite a few Kiwis, were, were, were spewing because um, they said they'd always known he was a cheat. So Daniel... Supanov, it was busted for EPO. Oh, really? Kona. So, Kona. so people were like, "We know." Yeah, yeah. Dougal Allen got on there, and he was, uh, and, and a whole bunch of Kiwis were saying, "Look, it was everybody knew about this, and it took them this long to catch him." So, why did everyone got, know? How does everyone know? Well, you just you have your suspicions, you know, when you see those ungainly athletes consistently performing really really well and like i think um cam brown did an example where he read this guy raced an ironman one week and then he was doing a half ironman was very very competitive the next week um so yeah a lot of them had their suspicions around him he got busted for epo and then rodrigo tavares um from brazil got busted as well both got four-year sanctions good times it's fair enough they should john so they've been doing the virtual Ironman. There's some good stuff coming out of it. So tell us a little bit about this, Jumbo. Well, so what Jan Fredino over the weekend, he actually did an Ironman. So lots of people so, are doing So what, what, was, the, what was the first run he did? No, he did, he did a t- proper triathlon. Oh. So he swam, swam uh, he had a like an endless pool type jet in a, in a nice big pool that he had. So he swam, I'm not, I didn't actually really follow it, but he, he I saw he came out of the swim in 47 minutes. So whether he... I don't know whether he came up with uh, just an Ironman time, I'm not sure. And then he got on to, to Zwift and rode his 180Ks and then ran his marathon on a treadmill, went 8.33 for his virtual effort. How about uh, that? That's pretty and, cool, isn't it? 
but the cool thing was, and again, a lot of you listeners will have actually really watched it and followed it, but it was interactive the whole way. So he had a production team that were getting people asking questions and crossing over all over the place to make it actually you know, somewhat interesting rather than just watching him going through the motions for eight and a half hours. But the coolest thing about it is he, you know, he used his influence and he's raised uh, over 200,000 euros um, to go towards, um, you know, coronavirus charities. So good on, uh, good on Jan Fredino. That shows that this shows how big he is, isn't it? You mm. know, in 200k is not to be laughed at, you know, and that's, that's pretty impressive. Oh, yeah. And uh, riding 180k's on uh, and running a marathon, you know. It's, and, and 833, it's like I know he's the best guy around, and 833 ain't to be laughed at. He did not look like he was, uh, of the little footage that I saw, um, he didn't look like he was really pumping it, uh, and just to be able to bang out an 833. I know, just, uh, I know, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, You also got some other little stories here from people doing cool things with the challenge. Yeah, so down here in Christchurch, Tyrone Hallier did an Everest uh, attempt and completion on Zwift, and I think Ooh. there was some sort of competition over the weekend. What that involves, um, for those people that don't know about Everesting, it's basically climbing the equivalent of Mount Everest in, in one continuous effort. So he ended up having to ride 219 kilometres on Zwift, going up and down uh, Alpe de Zwift, which is their version or replica of uh, Alpe d'Huez. Uh, so I think it took him all bloody day on Sunday, but he did it, which was which was pretty awesome. I also saw, and I don't know if they completed this, but I saw Rob Dallymore and uh, Craig Kirkwood both doing a, um, a funny sort of 26-hour challenge where they were going to run one mile for every hour for 26 hours, which is, it sounds like, a, a you know, to run 26 miles, obviously. Um, going to awake, isn't it? Like, yeah. the, the mile is not the problem. It's getting up every hour in the middle of the night just to go for another mile run. I know, and then, uh, yeah, so they, they cranked that out, and then we also had an email through from a guy called Ian Hiddleston from County Down in Northern Ireland, completed a 107-mile ultramarathon in his back uh, backyard on a three-metre course. Did, did you did you watch the video? I didn't, no. So he sent through, um, Ian sent through another video, or another clip this morning, and it had a video of him, literally, think two little cones three metres apart, and just mm. ran back and forth around that, and you just thought, what are you doing with your life? <laughs> <laughs> 107 miles talking about 20 23 hours something like that to do it and he just literally just ran it's like three steps one turn, turn around three steps back like it was unbelievable to that, tell you what the cool the hot chick kylie cox also did something quite cool so what she did is on easter she did i think it was like an olympic distance based on the virtual IME. yeah uh, mm-hmm. so you run what do you run run five Bite ran three, bite 40, ran 10. So what she did is for her kids, she said, I'm not quite sure what part, but basically she had a lap. So I think the, the lap was a K lap. So the kids had to do, everyone, one person of her family had to do kind of every one of the laps with her. And at the end of it, they got the Easter eggs. So that might have just been in the run. But it was just a cool way to get the family involved in something that she was doing as well. So what well on Kylie Cox. Nice work. Uh, Jombo, oh, we're doing Pro of the Week within the news. Well, That's where we're, we're at just... right now. It's a bit of, uh, yeah. The pro of the week this week is Frederick Van Leerd has retired. Oh, yeah, of course. Um, and so he had a great career. He finished first place in the Ironman World Champs in 2013. And we were, yeah, we were definitely over for that one, I think, weren't we? When he won or not? Yeah, I'm sure we were. No, I think we were there the year before. Oh, did we interview him that year? We, we, we went we to the hotel room, didn't we? We went to the hotel room and he was kind of, he was, the thing about Freddie was, 
There was signs to show he was off that pedigree, wasn't there? Because he won, remember there was that Abu Dhabi race that was a big thing for a period and all the rock stars turned up and he won there. And he'd, he'd had a couple of races where, like when you first saw his career, you kind of thought, this guy's a good, good solid guy who won a couple second tier races. But then he did have these stellar moments and then came one Kona and you wouldn't have picked him, but you also weren't surprised. I think the year we interviewed him, it was either that it'd been I don't think he'd won. I think it was maybe two years before. It wasn't. It wasn't the year he won. I think we cursed him the year we we interviewed him. Um, <laughs> but, but anyway, as you, as you mentioned, that period of 2012 to 2013 was when he was absolutely at his peak. So um, you're right. He, he finished third in Hawaii um, one year in 2012, and that really started the momentum rolling. We went to Abu Dhabi the next year in 2013, where he won that, uh, and then he, he he won a lot. He was a prolific winner you know yeah. he won Nice multiple times um, won lots of other you know 70.3 races and then 2013 won Hawaii in 8 hours and 12 minutes um, and just took his opportunities through that period uh, unfortunately he's one of those guys after he'd had the big win yeah and he kind wasn't, of faded away a bit didn't he he still went really, really well. You know, like if we look at the following year in Hawaii, he did. He went eighth, and he didn't really get to the same heights again in Hawaii. But he was still finishing, you know, second in Frankfurt. Um, in, in following years, he, you know, won Ironman South Africa and Port Elizabeth. I mean, um, France. So he still did extremely, extremely well, but he never got back to the the highest sort of heights. And and you know, the 2016 he finished tenth in Hawaii, and that was sort of his last really good uh, effort over there. Uh, the 2017 he had DNF. 2018 he went 32nd, and last year in Hawaii. I don't think he raced last year in Hawaii. So, um, but yeah, amazing competitor. Um, got to the top. You know, it's, it's always funny with those guys. Will he go down as a, a legend of the sport? And when you win a Hawaii, you sort of you, you're right up there. And you kind of get an entry, don't you? Yeah, and multiple, multiple wins in, in Nice and, and a lot of other races. Um, so yeah, awesome athlete. Uh, announced his retirement, and uh, we'll see where he goes to from here. I'd love to know. I'd love to hear. Um why he felt he didn't really maintain that level post-Hawaii. Because really, even though it may be him winning, was he wouldn't have been a guy who won three, four times in Hawaii, you would have expected more top fives out of him. Yeah, he d- he didn't have the X factor that like a lot of the prolific winners had. Yeah. He was he was a steady eddy guy that you know picks up all the crumbs and if people sort of fold away, then he's going to be there in the business. So maybe not more wins, but yeah, you might you're right. You might have expected maybe more top fives. Because I remember um, who was uh, who was ever German guy who won once, but um, Carl Regan. No, no, no. Um, tall, wore, wore undies all the time. What was his name? Faris uh, Olsen. great guy. One of the greatest guys of the sport. He's such a nice guy. But one thing with Ferris was he got his one early in his career. Now, Ferris had a really great Hawaii career. He had, he had lots of good results in Hawaii, um, but never got the win again. But one thing that all, you always, Ferris always went back to, and whenever you talk to him, he was like, I've had my win. You know, like, because mm-hmm. and, and, there'd be so many guys who should have, you know, like you think of like, a, um, who was um, that, uh, Henning? Uh, um, Rasmus Henning Rasmus, yep. you know quite a few guys who potentially could have won Hawaii but never really performed there never really got the win and um, Al Sultan was always like hey I've had my win and in some yeah. ways I think maybe he wasn't as good even though he still had good performances after that fact in many ways maybe he never really chased as hard because he kind of had that 
kind of feather in his cap. And I wonder if Freddie was a bit like that as well. Mm, exactly. But very good career. Good on him. Yeah, he was a really good career and uh, good times. Okay, John, well, this week's discussion. So this week's discussion, what are the best moments of sports and what's the sport of triathlon? And put some links up so we can spend some time watching it while we're training through this crazy time. And John, we've got some good ones here. We have. So um, we had one from good old pod, Paul O'Darty, and this was, is possibly one of my all-time favourites, is the Bevan Doherty Superhuman Triathlon finish, which was yeah. at the 2005 World Cup, New Plymouth. Um, so if you do want to watch any of these, go onto our Facebook page, and he's put a link of this, and just that's the best finish. And the reason I like it so much, it's not your classic sprint finish where they're all sort of lining up and, uh, behind, and just uh, Bevan comes from behind Chris Kimmel just takes off from Rasmus Hemming who Bevan was just talking about and Chris Kimmel takes off looks like he's got it done he's running at a really good pace but he's looking over his shoulder and uh, and then Bevan Doherty eventually hauls him in and takes the win it is pretty cool and it's, it's, I, from what I recall it's a bit of Eminem in the background as well isn't it Tom? <clears throat> You're exactly right. Yeah, but a bit of dun 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 dun. Greg uh, Jules Bramwell has got here. Iron Man New Zealand 1990, the best finish ever. I may have put that on YouTube. Actually, that might be Bevan Isles put that on YouTube. Let's have a look. Did I do that? Yes, it is. <laughs> is it? <laughs> yeah. And I've got 51,000 views. I should have put some money on that, mate. Um, <laughs> so tell the story, John, because it's a great finish. So this is a Ken Glaar versus Pauli Kuru. And uh, the, what makes this sprint finish even... No, actually, people should go and watch this rather than me talking okay. about it. because okay. uh, It's a great um, finish. It is a great finish. There's probably, a twist in it. Probably the best Ironman finish of all time. I, I think so, too. Yeah. Uh, Swanee Noah's got the glory party at the K-Swiss part after party in Kona. That was a good night. It was many good nights, and that picture that he's posted of us up there, I remember that one. Uh, yeah. it, was, it was a good night. Yeah. Uh, we've got a few people saying the Brownlee brothers when um, Alistair Brownlee helped Johnny Brownlee over there. Good old Rachel Murders put some, some footage up there, as has Alan Bryson, so a few people have put that one up. Good old Rob Dillimore has got Robbo's T2 dismount and sequential uh, bike carry and transition in 2003 worlds at Queenstown. Raw, pure speed and athleticism. I don't know that one, John. Tell me about it. So, if, again, if you want to watch any of the ITU stuff, so this was the 2003 World Champs in Queenstown, you can go on to triathlonlive.tv and they'll have all the old uh, World Championships in there, all, almost all of them, I think. Uh, I, don't, I haven't actually watched the exact footage, but Robbo was a fantastic transition, and I think what he's alluding to is him coming off the, coming off the bike and just you know hardly even applying the brakes and jumping off the bike at like 30 k's an hour and just sprinting straight into the run, and then he carried on and just uh, spanked the race. But again, I don't want to steal too much of the story of those races because uh, you can go on there and use it as a bit of, uh, bit of work on your trainer. So the first time I saw Robbo, this was kind of before I was in the triathlon, it was the Commonwealth Games, where were they, John? Maybe it was. Maybe it wouldn't have been. It was the one before um, Mel- Melbourne, probably. No, possibly. it was the one before Melbourne, wherever they were. And he basically just surged all the time. And like I never knew triathlon at the stage. And I was just saying he just keeps surging. Yeah. <laughs> and they catch him up, he'd surge again. He he'd just try to break people, wouldn't he? He did, yeah. He was uh, he was a, a very annoying competitor if you <laughs> ran against him. Not that I, I, I raced him once, both of them we were juniors, and uh, and he did come past me on the. I think he came past me on the run. He wasn't that good at that stage, um, and uh, but yeah, he was a very annoying racer if you if you uh, had to come up against him. 
Uh, Kylie Cox has got here. I love watching Nakata Doherty one two at the Olympics. I also think that Ian Scott had that one as well. Yep. Yes. Uh, Neil Hastings has got Alistair Brownlee coming out of T2 in the London Olympics and laying down possibly the most devastating, devastatingly frightening pace ever witnessed in try that only his brother and Gomez could just about keep up with. Rest of the field dropped in about half a kilometre. Good old John Weir, the 2008 Olympic sprint finish. Was that the females race? Yes. That was, a, that was a funny event, wasn't it? Because it was a bit of a non-event because it was such a photo finish. And then they announced it and it was kind of like, it was a bit bizarre. It was uh, Lisa Norden and uh, Spirig. So, yeah. I, I, yeah, I'm going to go back and watch that one, I think. I mean, I know the sprint, but I uh, don't recall how the race unfolded too much. Yeah. Uh, Neil Hastings got Alistair. Oh, did you do that one? Did you? Yeah. Um, uh, Rachel Murtag has got Brownlee helped over the line by his brother Alistair. Controversial that was, John. It was indeed. Can't be done anymore. Oh. Uh, another one from Rob Dallymore. Uh, Bevan Doherty throwing a bottle uh, at, at a camera post race. I can't remember the race or when it was, but it was gold. I'm pretty sure it was in Tong Yong in one of the world championship races and Bevan Doherty was really getting towards the end of the end of his career and uh, he pulled out of the race I'm pretty sure he pulled out of the race and uh, they were trying to film him in the post race sort of cool down area and he just lost the plot and threw a bottle at the camera <laughs> Good old Doherty, any of us here John? Um... I'll, I'll, for, for people that want to know my ones I've posted a whole bunch up on here as well because that was part of the reason for me was for people to share some some stuff to be able to watch on the trainer so i had the 94 uh, world championships in wellington put a link onto that which was the last draft draft illegal race also the 91 world champs in the gold coast which has got an awesome finish um, i put the madeira world championships from 2004 in there which was a sprint finish on the men's race and the women's race was also fantastic and well worth the watch and then the final one that i put up there that it took me a little while to find it i know there's two other ones was a sprint finish in the des moines high v triathlon um, World Cup and then the last I put up which was Roth in 1996 which was a record setting day uh, and you might want to watch that for the reasons why that was but it was also the same year that you get to see Peter Reed trying to mount his bike oh, yeah, yeah. so 14 minutes into the clip watch that it is triathlon comedy at its best you need, you need but, a bit of um, Benny Hill music he cocks up his bike mount about three times and not just slightly like he is falling off the back of his bike it's hilarious uh this week's one can i change this week's one go for it okay this week's discussion is what have you learned about yourself in this crazy time that we're living in that maybe you wouldn't have learned if you hadn't had this time. So this can be sporting related, this can be kind of any area of your life. Just, you know, wh what have you actually learned about yourself? It's been a positive thing in your life that you wouldn't have learned if you didn't go through this crazy time. Great. Okay, John, we've got an interview. An interview with a guy called Dr. Mark Bubbs. He's written a book called Peak, the new science of athletic performance that is revolutionizing sport. Uh, I really, really enjoyed this book. We get given a lot of books, John, and, and often I'll read some of them and it's a bit of the same old stuff, but this book is really good. And it's actually, I think it's like top 10 on Amazon, uh, and, at least on Audible. It's doing very, very well. And there's, there's a good reason why. It's, it's a really well-researched book. 
And it's a research book that the reason I liked it was there's a lot of kind of application that you can apply to your life. And he breaks in lots of different areas. And it does have a definitely an endurance sport kind of tilt to it. So here is Dr. Mark Bubbs with the interview about his book, Peak. Radio team, I'm very happy to have on the show Dr. Mark Bubbs. He is the author of Peak, the New Science of Athletic Performance that's Revolutionizing Sport. Uh, welcome on to the show. Awesome. Appreciate you having me on. Just before we kind of get into some of the details of the book and some of the work you've been kind of exploring here, just give us a bit of a history on yourself. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, I work as a performance nutritionist, so from Canada. Um, at the moment, the lead performance nutritionist for Canada Basketball. And for, you know, work as a consultant as well in, in, in elite sport and with recreational athletes, you know, trying to help people feel better and move better and, of course, perform in, in whatever endeavors they have, things like marathons, triathlons, etc. And, you know, my background in sport, I grew up playing all sorts of team sports and, and then uh, that sort of kicked off the passion for this connection between nutrition and how we feel and our overall health. Because for me, I, I struggle with some some issues around getting run down and always getting sick uh, in my athletic career. And then that's when the shoe drops, so to speak, in terms of how nutrition can actually have such a big impact on those things. And and yeah, that led me down the path of doing more education on that that side of things. And then that's uh, today what I do full-time consulting. And with that, in regards to that, um, what inspired you to write the book? Yeah, I mean, the book was basically, it's a, it's a platform for how I practice. And so it's a way to let people in on some of the philosophies that, you know, that I've, that I use in my practice and that I've had the, the pleasure of being able to kind of sit in, in a lot of rooms and elite sport and pro sport and be able to learn and understand from a lot of really great people. And so, yeah, I mean, the book came from that and really this notion that starts with is this idea of, of being healthy people first, right? This human yeah. first approach, because you know, as we know from a, an endurance sport, especially, I mean, if you're just not healthy enough to show up every day to train, you know, if you're missing days because you're sick or run down, you know, we see in the research, I mean, international level competitors, those Olympic level competitors, I mean, they're getting sick at a clip that's, you know, 30 to 40% less than even a national level competitor. And they're already pretty darn elite, right? So mm -hmm. that notion of just being able to train every day and being healthy enough to train and, and even those you know, even if you're not actually sick, we see that just symptoms, right? Some of those symptoms that come up, the scratchy throat, these types of things, those can be a little indicator for you that maybe you want to do a little bit deeper dive in terms of some investigations around your training plan, your nutrition, your recovery, because there might be something that's uh, missing there. So, you know, you, you talk about the kind of the four categories in the book. You talk about health, nutrition, recovery, mindset. We go, you know, I like the idea of what you talk about, which is kind of human first. If we're going to kind of break that down, what does human first mean? Yeah, I mean, at the core of it, it really is, you know, especially in, I mean, it happens in endurance sport absolutely as well, and team sport for sure in terms of you get athletes that are literally, you know, genetically gifted, and we always think of nutrition as, you know, putting more muscle on someone, you know, in a kind of bodybuilding sense, or we think of nutrition as getting somebody leaner, when a lot of times, and whether it's professional basketball or an endurance sport, you know, the talent is there the work capacity is there. It's more now just making sure this athlete stays healthy enough. Um, and so human first is the, you know, the components that are so crucial to this. And this is why the book kicks off with, you know, a story about Roger Federer and how for a few years there, it was looking like he was, 
you know, his career was on a downward path. He was struggling to beat some of the top players. And, you know, this is maybe four years ago now. Then it looked like his career was ending. And then all of a sudden, you know, it was like a light switched on. And, of course, he won the Aussie Open, another major, and he backed that up with the Wimbledon and back-to-back wins at the Australian Open. And then all of a sudden, 35, 36, 37, he's winning all these majors. And, yeah. you know, this is where when we look at things like sleep, I mean, you know, lack of sleep, when we talk about things like reaction time, sprint speed, pain tolerance, right, injury risk, all of these things and more, you know, uh, cold and flu, all of them get impacted. And so human first is, is really a philosophy around keeping the individual as healthy as we can. And that that's physical and mental health. And for me, and when we look at the literature and you see this all across sport now, which is pretty cool in the last 10 years, the sleep science has been so pronounced is that, you know, it definitely starts with sleep. And it's, it's a funny thing because when you look at the, when I was researching for the book, I mean, you know, Olympic level athletes still have more fragmented sleep and less sleep than, you know, age and sex match controls. And so you think, well, wait a minute. I thought they knew that sleep was important. So when we get to this point now in the road where a lot of the sleep experts will tell us, well, we know that it's important, but now it's how do we get people to do it? And I'm sure you see this a lot with your clients. You know, we got busy people, yeah. type A's, et cetera. And it's, it's always the last thing that we kind of push out because training's busy, life's busy, work's busy. And so that, you know, the sleep kind of gets squeezed out, but it's, it's definitely one where, you know, the more performance driven we are, we got to, you know, circle back and make sure we're, we're ticking the boxes on the sleep front. What's interesting with the sleep thing, isn't it? Because there's kind of two aspects. There's the bad habits we've created around sleep with like devices and staying up late. But for, for an Ironman triathlete, it's particularly the working Ironman triathlete, often they're very time poor. So one thing they'll compromise is sleep so they can train more. So, you know, for someone in that situation, what would you talk about finding the right balance? Yeah, I mean, I would start with, you know, there was a classic study done in the 1990s by a gentleman named uh, Professor Sheldon Cohen. And this was done at Carnegie Mellon University in, in the U.S. And effectively, they inoculated the subjects with a cold virus. And they wanted to see who got sick. And, of course, the study was designed that you had a group that had seven hours, more than seven hours of sleep. You had a second group that had less than seven hours of sleep. And you had a third group that had less than six hours of sleep. And so, you know... At the end of this, who gets who succumbs to the actual illness? Because to get sick, you need two things, right? You need exposure to the pathogen, but you also need to be immunocompromised. And obviously, lack of sleep does compromise immunity. And the goal here was to what extent? And of course, if you get less than seven hours of sleep, you're actually, in this study, you were three times more likely to catch a cold or flu. And if you got less than six hours, you're actually four and a half times more likely. So that really hammers home this point of, Man, if we're cutting off sleep, especially if we're getting into this less than six hours, even less than seven, as we can see, this is really going to start to compromise immunity and your capacity just to stay cold and flu-free and all these symptom-free. So that's a huge place to start. And, you know, I appreciate the question's great because, you know, I've got three little kids, you know, under six at home and, you know, busy work. It's like, okay, well, how do we we fit all this in? Because it's just, there's not enough hours in the day. Um, And I think... You know, when you talk to the experts, this idea of trying to anchor your morning time is really important. You know, trying to keep that waking time very consistent so that your rhythms through the day are quite consistent. You'll naturally tend to get tired and more sleepy towards the end of the day at the same time. So that's, you know, that's an important one. And, and of course, you know, 
we always want to aim. The National Sleep Foundation will tell us seven to nine hours. So trying to always aim for that seven hours. But again, life gets in the way. And this is where, you know, you've got to be mindful of your training plan or your nutrition and figure out, you know, where you might be able to then support to, to pr- kind of prevent yourself from, you know, dipping into that a little t- too much because it's, you know, it's a bit like your, you know, your, the charge on your phone, right? If you keep not getting enough sleep, all of a sudden you're waking up with three-quarter charge, half charge, quarter charge. And this is when we start to see a lot of those symptoms around, you know, overreaching, overtraining start to set in. Just with it, you know, like, because a lot of people will, will justify not sleeping because they need it to be able to train more. So psychologically, how do you help someone actually understand that that seven hours of sleep should be the aim, which may compromise with a little bit of training time, but effectively would equal better training time when you're out there training? Because that's ultimately what you're saying, isn't it? Uh, well, I mean, there's two there's two parts to that, and I guess one is obviously how well the person is tracking with their training, because you're right in the sense that if the person's not fit enough and we need to get the hours in, then all of a sudden we've got to we've got to assess and, and and troubleshoot here to figure out where that line is. And I think one thing that people can do if they feel like they do need to get that training in, especially earlier in the morning, and that's interesting as well when you look at early morning training, because we know that will impact sleep quality the night before. Right? Unless you're always getting up at that same early time, you tend to, you know, not sleep as well. And if anyone's woken up for an early flight, then that's always the, yeah. Yeah, that's always the case. Um, but you can basically start thinking of your weekly sleep time. So rather than just how much you get every single night, you can pull that out to over the course of a week. And so now all of a sudden the naps that you add in, that adds to your weekly sleep total. And so if there are places in your week, typically weekends, right, for people who are busy and working. Yeah. You know, is there a 60 or 90 minute window where you can get a nap in? Um, Because if we start putting that towards our weekly total, you know, all of a sudden, if you're only getting six hours a couple days for the week because you've got to train, then, hey, you know, that's what you have to do. And again, sometimes life will just be so that, you you know, you're going to have these periods of less sleep. And this is where on this nutrition front of how you're fueling as well as. Uh, you know, potentially supplementation for some folks and, of course, your training plan, then this becomes important, right, to kind of get all those ducks in a row and so that you can, you know, truly adapt and recover from what you're doing. Mm. Chapter three, you got a lot into blood sugars. And, you you know, before we started even talking, you were kind of talking about how for aging athletes, this becomes a bit of an issue on their journey. Do you want to kind of dig a little bit deeper into that? Yeah, blood glucose is fascinating because it's it's a – metric that we all get run when we go to our doc for a annual physical right you get your fasting glucose done yeah. uh, you get this ha1c this three-month average of your blood glucose levels as well and when we look at longevity right so we want to live a what we call a health span right we often talk about how long people live and that's your lifespan but unfortunately you know the last five or ten years of people's lives are lived you know in a lot of discomfort pain disability now, folks who are active, you know, if they're listening into this and they're already, you know, triathletes, Ironman, then you're already doing well because we know that things like VO2 max, um, lean muscle mass, these are really strongly correlated with longevity. But glucose, fasting glucose is also a great marker for longevity, right? We see there was a large study done in the UK called the Whitehall study that followed um, individuals over the course of 20 years and the follow-up over 33 years. And they actually found that if you were – not even outside the normal range. If you were in the upper third of the fasting glucose range, so you know above 5.6, you're actually at 40% increased risk of cardiovascular disease. 
which is pretty surprising, right? Because most of us, if we're in that normal range, you know, the doctor doesn't call you back. There's no cause for concern. Mm. Um, but if we see that accumulating, then that's lets us know again. Well, there's something that's not quite right on the, either the, the nutrition front or potentially the sleep front, because we know that if you don't get enough sleep, the next morning, you know, your fasting glucose is going to be higher. And of course, the last piece is the training, because intense training naturally is going to increase the fasting glucose a little bit. And that's, you know, that's okay. But from a practitioner standpoint, and working with a lot of endurance athletes and triathletes and Ironman, once we have somebody tapering, and all of a sudden that fasting glucose is staying elevated, right? This is, you know, potentially a, a little red flag that we can pay attention to, you know. Um, and of course, you know, down the road as people are fueling for their Ironman and triathlons, we want to make sure that some of these metrics, if we keep them in good standing order, we know that we're fueling for not only how well you perform in the race you're getting ready for, but also so you can be healthy when you're, you know, 50, 60, 70, and, and so on. Yeah. And, and with that, you know, you talk a lot about in the book, a part of your job with your glucose is to kind of get into the habit of testing it regularly so you can get a good understanding of what's happening, you know, with your body internally in this area. Yeah, I think technology has really helped out in this regard because nowadays we have the use of continuous glucose monitors, right? And I'm sure a lot of your listeners have probably used them or they've seen them on people, these little yeah. white discs either on the abdomen or the back of the arm. And, and a classic, a uh, great study that came out couple years ago was done in cyclists and they took these sub elite cyclists and over the course of a week right they had 10 cyclists they put these continuous glucose monitors on them and they effectively you're measuring your glucose levels 24 hours a day right so when you're sleeping they're being measured when you wake up your response to meals and of course when you're exercising and you know we know that in endurance sport carbohydrates are king right we know that they're going to help us in terms of uh, work capacity even preventing things like immuno being immunocompromised and of course pushing hard on race day. But you know, in the last sort of 10 or 15 years, we've realized that if we keep fueling that strongly, even whilst we're training, so our training nutrition versus our race day nutrition, we can actually start pushing the glucose levels up a little higher than what we'd like. And this is what the study found effectively is that, you know, four out of those 10 participants, they actually spent 70% of the week with their blood glucose levels in a pre-diabetic range. Oh, really? So wow. they were, in fact, over-fueling, right? They were just putting so much fuel in the tank that they didn't need and weren't using. And, of course, you know, that's not ideal for things like inflammation or, or vascular health. And even, you know, if we really want to extend this out, cognitive health, right? When we look at things like dementias and Alzheimer's, you know, a lot of researchers in the field are now calling these things type 3 diabetes to reflect the fact that, you know, if your glucose levels are chronically high – then you're at a much, much greater risk of, of developing some of these things. And and so, yeah, I, at the end of the day, it's really getting that personalized approach of what's of how you're fueling because we know on race day we're going to want to really push the level so that you can maintain this capacity. Um, but whilst you're training, if you experience, you know, if you get a lot of bloating or discomfort, if you have a, a lot of energy highs and lows, you know, if you have those strong cravings at points of the day, you know, it's the middle of the afternoon at work and you're just, you know, gnawing off your arm because you you, you you need a snack or you, you, don't, you know your, your colleagues are avoiding you because they don't want a <laughs> snap reaction you know these are the kind of little little signs that let you know that, okay maybe we're not uh, you know maybe we're a little bit on these kind of highs and lows because you know just the need to fuel all that activity well no, and imagine also because for a lot of triathletes especially long course is the training justifies the eating 
um, and that, you know, like we train so much that we kind of think we can get away with bad nutrition or, or too much nutrition. And at times, maybe you do need a little bit more, but it almost creates these bad habits that we kind of, because if you're just thinking of body composition, you don't necessarily see body composition change, but internally, you know, you may be having effects that you don't necessarily see. Yeah, and I think this is where it gets around things like timing even because a lot of times, you know, the athlete, the client will, it's the end of the day, they're on the couch and now the bag of Twizzlers or the, yeah. you know, tub of ice cream comes out and it's like, and hey, okay, I've well, done five hours training well, today and it's that kind of justification, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, except it's not immediately before, during or immediately after. And so, <laughs> you know, if you're, if you're going to have those things, then that's kind of the quote unquote best time to have them. Um, but those big, strong hunger cravings, when those come up, I mean, a couple of things. One of them, we can get into this situation, what we call low energy availability, which basically means that the you know the individual is not actually taking on board enough calories. And so the body's way of making sure you do is to really just kick up these sugar cravings. And so you'll, I'm sure you've seen this in your clients and athletes where people will have these really strong cravings and, you know, again, knock back a bag of Twizzlers or a whole tub of ice cream when it's yeah. maybe not the normal thing that they would do. Um, and so that's one aspect of it, making sure that you're actually fueling enough for all the training that you're doing um and the other aspect is just on a you know a bit of a, a behavioral side and it's a bit like we're you know we're more pavlov's dog than we realize and if every night you come home and you sit on the couch and you have something sweet while you're decompressing you know you get a nice serotonin release and it feels your brain feels this relaxation response and so you know every night you get home and if that's this you know if you, if you turn on the tv and you're sitting on the couch again that environment creates a stimuli and now you're all of a sudden that once a week snack is every single night right and so we could definitely create some of these these habits and for some people it might not be the end of the day right it might be again two or three o'clock at work when you know they go down for a coffee or a tea and now all of a sudden there's a you know in Canada, they eat a donut, but I don't know what you guys in New Zealand, Australia, you know, a cookie or whatever you might be having. But, you know, there's these things that are creeping in that almost go unnoticed until somebody sort of points it out or until, you know, maybe the athlete's doing a diet diary and it's like, oh, let's, you know, I see that sort of cropped up. And and it's, it's less so about just, not, you know, avoiding sugar and more kind of zooming out from a nutrition standpoint to 30,000 feet and saying, okay, well, you know, oftentimes things like protein intake, which we often think, well, just because you're an endurance athlete, you don't need as much as, let's say, a bodybuilder or a physique-focused athlete. But, you know, the the nature of the training being so long and so much volume, it you know, protein intake is important. And people, you know, getting up to a sweet spot of, you know, let's say 1.6 grams for every kilogram body weight is a pretty darn good place to be. You know, you're almost at the top of the bell curve mm. in terms of benefits. But again, if you kind of go through someone's day and calculate that out, I mean, you'll often find people at about one gram per kilogram. Okay, yeah. And so, you know, the great quote from uh, Prof. Stu Phillips, who's a you know one of the world's best protein researchers, and he's based in in Canada. You know, it's it's like bricks in the wall, right? If you're if you're training a lot, the bricks are coming out of the wall, and if you're not eating enough protein, then you're not putting the bricks back in, and of course, eventually that's going to come back to come back to bite you well that kind of leads well into the nutrition discussion because i know um it's not there's not one answer to this but when in training what are the basic formulas we want to look for in regards to you know we think of the pyramids and stuff like that is there one formula or is your opinion that are you in more the kind of periodized nutrition kind of thinking or just were you sitting with nutrition because it is such a moving target and you know, we do get lots of different opinions on this. So just kind of where's your nutrition kind of thinking at the moment? 
Yeah, I mean, the, the philosophy around nutrition, I mean, even with clients, it's always outcome first, right? It's like, what's this person trying to achieve? Um, you know, are they a recreational triathlete who's trying to lose 10, 20, 30 pounds as well as, you know, do this event? Then the feeling's going to be different than somebody who is sub-elite, elite, and they're really pushing hard and trying to achieve a, you know, a personal best or qualify for a, you know, national, international competition. Um, you know, from there, the names of the diets don't matter so much, right? They're all operating by the same principles. And so it gets to be more of a question of saying, again, I typically start with protein intake. Like let's quote unquote, set your protein intake. You know, let's make it so that every single day you're used to consuming this, you know, 1.6 grams per kilo, ideally divided out throughout the day, right? So in three, four or five meals, depending on the individual. And if you can create that habit, then all of a sudden, from a recovery standpoint, from an immunity standpoint, we're going to be doing very well, right? The meal that most people miss out on in terms of protein intake, when we look at the intakes, and this is across general population as well as elite athletes, is breakfast, yeah, right? It's okay. yeah. 20, 20 grams is sort of the minimum dose that we're looking for to get from protein in each meal. You know, lunch and dinner, and, and if for someone at home, you know, the size and thickness of your palm if you're sort of a six foot male is probably around 30 grams or so of protein. Um, well, the other analogy would be, or for a female, you know, if you're five foot seven or eight might be 20, 25 grams for the size and thickness of your palm. Um, but yeah, so breakfast is that meal that we don't tend to get to that 20 grams. And, you know, Part of that is probably because we've scared everyone off from eating eggs in the morning for breakfast. <laughs> yeah. you know, the cholesterol fears of the last uh, you know, 30 years probably haven't helped there. And it's ironic because a few months ago, there was a huge um, meta-analysis done on you know over 200,000 people in these three major studies that showed no relationship at all with egg consumption, cardiovascular disease, or cardiovascular mortality. Wow. Okay. Well, it's, yeah, it's still yeah. the number one thing you're going to hear from someone. And I'm sure you've heard this, right? Yeah. If you tell them, I want you to eat eggs i mean the first thing out of their mouth is what about cholesterol um and so it's unfortunate because again the egg yolk is basically like nature's multivitamin you know i mean that's you can save yourself 30 dollars at the supplement shop and just get get a few eggs and you know um, multiple times a week especially things like choline so choline is a, a vitamin b4 it's it's actually plays a big role we see in certain individuals for recovery right which around things like inflammation and it also has a big role to play in terms of cognitive health so you know that would be a, a great place for a lot of people to start if they're kind of listening in would be that you know achieving that protein intake spreading it through the day and really focusing in on breakfast because whether it's the eggs i'll often get clients to do yogurt for breakfast because that's a nice way to get you know protein intake up and and even soy yogurt which i know <laughs> you know if you're if you're able to consume dairy you're probably not your first place you'd go but uh but soy is a tremendous vegetable protein, right? It's it's head and shoulders above all the other vegetable proteins. Um, the quality, which is you know, animal proteins tend to have a higher quality than vegetable proteins, but soy protein is as close as you're going to get to the animal uh, types. And it's you know, it tastes pretty good. You can have 400 grams, 500 grams, one of those decent sized tubs of soy yogurt in the morning. If you don't, you know, if you struggle with dairy, it doesn't go down well. You know, digestive symptoms, etc. And that's tremendous because you're not only bringing on board the protein, you know, with soy, you're bringing on board all the antioxidants that you get from soy. And if you're taking it in the form of yogurt, you also bring on board all the probiotics, all the good bacteria as well, which is going to support you in terms of things like immune function and inflammation. So, you know, those are 
two decent places to start, but that's, um, you know, when you talk about nutrition philosophy, that would be the protein side of things. And you know, So just to recap on that, what you are saying is yeah, ideally sure. we want to be getting around 1.6 grams of carbohydrate per kg of body weight distributed pretty evenly throughout the day. And obviously the breakfast is just, what about even just having a protein whey option, like a shake in the morning? Is that, or would you, you would, what's your thoughts on like just using that kind of quick fix for your protein? Oh, for sure. I mean, that's a great option. You know, if you want to use a whey isolate protein or whey concentrate, yep. if that goes down well from a digestive standpoint, that's great. You know, even people who are really stretched for time, you know, pint of milk, pint of soy milk. I mean, I know it feels weird for some people because they haven't had a maybe a glass of milk since they were a teenager or, <laughs> you know, in school. But that's, you know, for some people, even mixing a protein powder you know, perhaps less so in the endurance crowd. I mean, Ironman, they tend to be a pretty compliant group, but, uh, you know, you'd be surprised that some people, it's, it's, that's even too much work. And so, you know, I say, hey, just glass of milk, glass of soy milk, you know, let's uh, find a way to make it easy, right? Yeah, for sure. Uh, and so then outside of protein, then we start to move into the, the fueling and uh, we have like yep. things like the keto now and then, you know, some people love carbs, some people hate carbs. You know, what's, where do you sit it with it? Yeah, I mean, there's sort of a, lack of nuance you know when you yeah. online in the social media space right it's like you're either it's a very binary you're either zero or one right there's no in between and there's and lots, of, the there's lots of, writing, kind of um identity that goes with it as well isn't there? there's a lot of people you know oh, massive yeah. yeah you know like if you disagree it's almost like you're trying to pick a fight with somebody yeah and the, and the irony with at the highest level is nobody talks like that right so to nobody in pro sports or in, in the elite endurance you know, it's all a nuanced approach. It's it's all the, what are you doing? What's the exercise for today? Is it an aerobic session? Uh, do we need to support some of these aerobic adaptations to make you a better fat oxidizer? Okay, well, we're going to do a, you know, what looks like a keto breakfast or a low-carb breakfast. And, of course, you know, in the book we talk about Chris Froome, the cyclist who won the Tour de France a few years back, and he posted a breakfast that he had during the Tour de France. And just as you mentioned, you know, the, the low-carb keto community just blew up going, I told you so, this guy does the whole race in keto. And, you know, of course, a cyclist is you know, six, seven, eight thousand calories a day. I mean, that's a lot of avocados, right? Yeah. <laughs> you, <can't, laughs> you, know, you, you have to be putting carbohydrate in as well in, in different parts of the race. And so, yeah, when we talk about carbohydrate, it's all about, you know, the term they use now is sort of fueling for the work required. So, you know, if you are preparing for your Ironman, you know, you go in and you do a, you know, a test to see, you know, how well you oxidize fat versus carbohydrate, right? It can, you can actually get a metric on that. And if if you burn, if you don't burn fat as well as perhaps you could do, then that's where there might be more days in your week where we would strategically and purposely reduce carbohydrate, you know, before sessions to, to force the body into that, to that adaptation, right? To be, get better at um, burning body fat and the cool part with this is that, you know, you, you can do that training fasted, but we even see now, even like a, a breakfast that has just protein in it, you'd still get all the benefits of quote unquote, the sort of fasted training, which you might do in these aerobic sessions um, to help, you know, support that ability to oxidize fat. Because, you know, especially if you've got a good big gear, I mean, you're going to be typically pretty good at oxidizing, you know, burning carbohydrate. And so on your big days, that's where we might get into depending on the individual, you know, five, six, seven, eight grams per kilo of carbohydrate, which is, you know, getting to be a, an awful lot. And so mm. um, I think, you know, for the more intermediate to advanced trainee, I think you just want to be able to have some 
some ebb and flow with that nutrition. So that periodized approach that you talk about and that we mentioned in the book is is just that, right? We, we don't want to be going to the well every time with carbohydrate in all of your training sessions, um, particularly if there's going to be more aerobic sessions in there, which, you know, inevitably that will be the bulk of it, right? And so yeah. um, I think that's sometimes where athletes will miss out a little bit because the breakfast will sort of look the same all week long or the meals will look the same all week long. And just as you periodize your training, the more advanced you get, then there should start to become more periodized in the nutrition if you really want to enhance that recovery, um, the performance, and really, you know, as you get older, the health. Just just with that then, but if, if, let's say I'm Joe Public or, you know, do my yeah. man. Um, is, there, is there a kind of a, a formula of how many off days I want to do where I'm doing kind of fasted and or, or, or where I'm going to use more carbohydrates? Or are you, are you more using just like, what zone you're going to be training in to achieve to make those decisions? Yeah, I mean, I think a, an, an easy heuristic to start with would be, you know, more of the aerobic sessions, the easy sessions. Yeah. You know, the, the, the classic is an individual might have a breakfast of oats with some honey and, a, you know, half a banana or something. And so all of a sudden we've got, or even a full banana, all of a sudden we've got, you know, 80 grams of carbohydrates every single day. Yeah. Well, if we're going out for a light run, um, you know, you get up in the morning, you omit all of that, all the carbohydrate, and you just have, you know, as you mentioned, maybe a whey isolate shake or uh, something like that in the morning. And then all of a sudden, now you go for your for your session. That's going to have a, you know, you're going to have a different response. And this is where, you know, in the book, we go through all the experts who are doing their research and the studies and guys like James Morton and Sam Impey and, you know, people I've had on my podcast as well. It, yeah that highlights some of these really, you know, impressive adaptations that are taking place at a cellular level that, you know, it's sort of like easy, easy wins or easy gains, if you will. Um, and the irony is, you know, if you're trying to lose weight as well as train up for your, you know, your competition, you know, you're likely to get more benefit there in the training phase. Now come race day, we're always going to want to get the right amount of fuel in. So it'll be, you know, definitely carbohydrates going to be important there, but I think, um, you know, for some people, they do get stuck into kind of that same exact meal planning, and the sessions are very different. But we're fueling ahead of time exactly the same way. Yeah. So, so you you know, you might look at like if I'm going to do an interval session run, that would be a morning where I'm going to put more carbohydrate in. If it is just a mid range zone to you know easy zone kind of run, um, I could keep the carbohydrate away, get into my protein, and it's that kind of mixing. So, because when we think about periodization, often we think long term. You know, like what periodization yeah. training plans is a lot different to a week within, you know, your, your nutrition plan. So you're kind of saying it's even yeah. more in quite a short term, kind of a weekly thing that you're periodizing your nutrition. Yeah, and it can go into your blocks as well. You know, ideally, you know, when I work with clients, you know, we have their whole training plan in front of us and we can layer on, you know, this is one of the beauties of working with endurance athletes is everything is so well planned and, yeah. you know, laid out that we can then say, okay, well, this is where we're going to do this and this is where we're going to add carbohydrate. And, you know, people can experiment with this because even, you know, you can do certain intense sessions, right? We talk about the different kind of sleep low, what we call train low strategies where you're actually purposely restricting carbohydrate and training hard so that all the glycogen gets depleted right yeah. the glycogen from the liver the glycogen from the muscles and this also kind of kicks up an adaptation of course you only do that in certain spots and then that can have a big benefit as well um but yeah from there it really uh, you know comes down to that you know the individual in terms of of how much and how little and i think a way of even you know if you if your metrics you're obviously assessing how much you know let's say a watt output on a bike that's where you can then start to appreciate how much carbohydrate maybe is the right amount because just like the study I mentioned before, you know, you can get too much of a good thing. And if, you, if you're going to be training out there competing for 
eight, nine, 10, 11, 12 hours, then we do sort of want to find that, um, that minimal amount so that you can sustain. And then in spots during that competition, that's where on race day nutrition, we can then figure out where we want to, you know, put more fuel in to really help that individual, you know, drop the hammer, so to speak, to, to get home. Thing. Just anything else you want to touch on nutrition-wise? Mm-hmm. Um, oh, so is, it just, is there anything else you want to touch on with nutrition? I've just got another question from another area. It's just, yeah. yeah, I mean, with nutrition, um, I would just say in terms of recovery, you know, this is one where if people are struggling with recovery, if they're feeling fatigued and tired and catching colds and flus, then that's again where you know, your total caloric intake matters. So are you getting enough total calories? Um, are you going to get enough carbohydrate? Because now, just as you mentioned, you know, it's really popular now to train more with low carb or keto. So sometimes people go a little bit too far in that direction and they're training hard. And so ensuring you have enough carbohydrate that helps with recovery and immunity. Yep. So those would be things to kind of look at. And if people are, you know, if they do have kind of the niggles and scratchy throat, we see, uh, you know, great researchers in Australia, Nick West, David Pine, showing that probiotic supplementation can help to reduce severity and duration, things like colds and flus. And so, you know, that can be kind of a nice uh, prophylactic thing that you can take, you know, whilst you're training and then help you to, to prevent that. Just, um, just, just chapter 11 was about emotions and mindset. And one thing I really um, found interesting was when you were talking about um, how self-compassion actually tends to build towards performance because a lot of athletes – come from a place of I need to be hard on myself to be successful. And I know there's a fine line because there's there's moments when we're being very slack in our training and we do need to kind of pull our socks up and you know get out there and do it. But then there's there's a lot of people who are so hard on themselves even when evidence shows them they should be rewarding themselves. And I, I really enjoyed that part around the self-compassion. Do you just want to maybe share a little bit about that and the value of that? Yeah, I mean, this is really fascinating stuff because, you know, I come from a generation two where it was you know the coach yelled at you and you you know you yelled at yourself and then yeah. that's how you motivate yourself and that's how you push yourself to go further and you know this whole area is not suggesting that there aren't moments to do that but yeah. you know dr kristen neff's work university of texas you know she mentions that when you put the word self in front of something it always sounds negative right like you know you're self-centered you're self-indulgent you're you know self-pity these kind of things yeah but really, when we talk about self-compassion, I mean, the problem that we ultimately get into, and you know, in other parts of the book, we talk about how something called we call the default mode network, which basically means that your brain is sort of always defaulting to think about yourself, right? So most of the time, you're thinking yeah. about you. Yeah. Um, which is a nice thing to think about when you worry about what other people think of you, because they're not thinking about you; they're thinking about themselves. <laughs> yeah, they're thinking about themselves. Um, and the and and if you're actually kind of tired and run down, then then you're more likely to have negative thoughts as well, right? So yeah. you're thinking about yourself a lot. They're likely to be negative thoughts. And if you, you know, for a lot of Type A's and people who are and these are high achieve, you know, executives, surgeons, lawyer, you know, all these types of people that can actually have a pretty wicked internal monologue. Mm-hmm. Um, they say things to themselves that they would never say to their friend, colleague, or anybody else. And you know, there's moments where this can be sort of motivational. But if it's constant over time, it, it it takes a toll on people. And we see in this research by Dr. Neff and others that, you know, being less hard on yourself can actually be a real promoter of mental resiliency and recovery, right? Mm-hmm. So um, it sounds ironic, but when, you know, they've done research in, in, in university students and 
in the business world as well. And when people show a bit more self-compassion, this idea that, hey, it's it's hard for everybody, right? It's not just I'm not the one who's the only one who's struggling out here. It's hard for everybody. You know, I'm going to you know, accept that fact. And, okay, I'm going to tomorrow we're going to push on and do X or Y, you know, th- this strategy. And, you know, one of the ones that she talks about here to give people a bit of concrete is called the stopwatch challenge. And so, you know, you basically – Let's say you're struggling. There's a lot of stress at work. There's maybe stress in training. You feel like you're plateauing or you're not advancing where you want. You've got a lot of this negative talk happening. And then she says, well, hey, stopwatch challenge. Everyone's got a phone with a timer. Set it for three minutes. Close your eyes and repeat, you know, this three phrase um, protocol. And basically it starts out with, you know, this hurts. You know, other athletes are experiencing this too. Be patient, and then you can fill in the blank of whatever it is that you want to, you know, sort of accomplish. And the ironic part when I mention this to clients is you always get that look from them, and I get this from a lot of male clients more so even than female, but I'm, I still get this from female clients as well. It's, it's sort of like the initial reaction is like, really? Like, you want me to do this? Um, but, you know, the example I give is Serena Williams, right? Serena Williams is arguably the greatest female tennis player of all time. Yeah. And as far as a few years ago, you could see her between games with a notebook, writing things down, you know, and doing this sort of journaling or positive self-talk. And so you think to yourself, well, wait a minute, if the greatest tennis player in the history, even after winning 20 plus majors, is still, you know, layering in these fundamentals of trying to, to you know, really kind of harness the, the mindset because – you know, that monkey mind or, the, or that ability of the mind to, to kind of always switch over to thinking about self and thinking about negative things is so powerful that you do have to train it up, right? And I think, you know, as much as we train our endurance sport or, our, you know, work, you know, work lifting weights in the gym or nutrition, we don't really train the mindset piece as much as we think we do. You know, we'd like to think we, you know, even if you're doing yoga classes and whatnot, you know, a bit of mindfulness helps, but this is a little bit different. And so um, I'm always surprised when people, when clients come back because, at first, there's normally a little bit of pushback, but you know, even two or three weeks in, there's a lot of uh, benefit that comes from it. With even um, that Martin Seligman, you know, where he talks about um, the simple thing of just writing down three things you appreciate from your day is scientifically proven to make your life better. Like it is just these adding these processes in that keep you in a place which puts your mind in a better place, isn't it? Yeah, and I love that one from Martin because that's it's it's time efficient, right? Like people always, oh man, I don't have time for this, I don't have time for that. Like, hey. Three things, you know, yeah. you can think about it while you're driving home, you can write it down, um, but you're right. I mean, just, just by doing that, you almost, you know, it's almost like someone grabbing you by the shoulders and shaking you a little bit to kind of get you out of your mood to just brings you back to, hey, things aren't so bad and, you know, all these, all these positive, positive areas. So, yeah, great, great tip. So, so um, just the book is called The New Science of Athletic Performance that Re- is Revolutionizing Sport, and it's called Peak. I'll put a link to it in the show notes. If people want to follow you, Mark, where do they go? What's, and you've got a podcast yourself, so tell us all about what you do. Yes, I got a funny last name, so Bubs, so at Dr. Bubs. You can go on Twitter, uh, Instagram, Facebook, follow on there. If you want to find out more about the book, um, the website is drbubs.com. And if people are interested in the nutrition, especially performance nutrition side of things, then the podcast is called the Performance Nutrition Podcast. And uh, you can find that on iTunes and all the, the usual outlets. And I do highly recommend the book. I've, I've read it myself. And um, the thing I really enjoyed about it is quite thorough. Uh, it does break down different categories, but it's also quite practical in the advice. You know, to pretty much every chapter 
gives you a conclusion of what you should be thinking about and application of the lessons from the chapter. And uh, that's really good because often you can read books and it's like, but how do I apply this? And uh, obviously you put yeah, a lot of thought sure. into the application of what you're trying to do. Well, that was exactly part of the point of, you know, I've read so many great books for Yag, just like you said, you, you it's amazing. And then you think, well, geez, how does this, uh, how do I fit this into what I'm doing? Yeah. Um, so, so great to hear that feedback because that was, that was one of the goals. So appreciate well, it. I'm sure you put a lot of work into it. So you should be bloody proud of your work, mate. So great work. Thanks for coming on the show and uh, keep up the good work. And uh, I'll put all the information about Mark's work on www.iamtalk.me. Yeah, you good? Yeah, I've just added a website of the week just to put through a real quick one. Okay. There you go, Jonbo. We are back. So if you want to check out that book, remember it's called Peak, the New Science of Athletic Performance that is Revolutionising Sport by Dr. Mark Bubbs. And I'll put a link to that in the show notes on www.imtalk.me. Three, two, one. Website, website of, the week. of the week. Okay, John, you're going to the insider, the Zwift insider. Yes, so I know there's lots of people on Swift now, and I'm not sponsored by them or anything like that. I like lots of the other different platforms in terms of uh, Ruby, in terms of RGT, whatever one you like, that's great. But a lot of people are jumping onto Swift, and uh, there's quite a few tricks of the trade in terms of trying to get the most out of Zwift. So the best website you can go and look at is called ZwiftInsider.com. And what you can find on here is firstly maps of all the courses because, um, Bevan, I know you won't know anything about this, no. but there's the different worlds and there's different courses you can do within all the different worlds. It's got all the course profiles um, and just a little bit about each of them, how long they are, etc. Um, so make sure you check those out, especially if you're going to be doing any racing. Then you can actually have a look at the race course rather than it being a surprise on on the day um, but it also in there it's got a whole load of other advice around tactics around choosing different gear for particular rides um, how to switch bikes how to switch gear um, and so on and so on so if you are new to Zwift and you're trying to sort of feel your way through uh, check out ZwiftInsider.com it's got the unlock codes John it has it's got like the video games when you're a kid it is, you know, it's like learning how to how to use all your different um, power ups, and, and for people that aren't on Swift, they won't know anything about that. But what you can do in there, you can press like a as you go through certain points in the course, you get these random things called power ups. And what you can do, you've got like a burrito power up. If you put your burrito power up, the person or the people behind you don't get any draft off you. There's other ones that's called like a a, a bus. I think it's called a bus power up, and that gives you a a, a really nice um, virtual draft for you know 10 seconds or so or you got a feather light one which helps you take some i think it's like take seven kgs or nine kgs off your weight when you're going up a climb so you can climb either easier or faster so yeah all that sort of tricks of the trader on zwiftinsider.com oh check it out i'll tell you what john is i have to admit because i'm mainly just running right now i haven't gone on my bike at all but i do wish that i had the tools right now because i definitely would have jumped on it and played around at this time if i had the tools but unfortunately i don't i wouldn't want to play the tool the game with you because you'd absolutely smoke it because you're so powerful and you're from your rpm and all that sort of stuff oh, does it really favour for power, does it? Well, you'd do very well in the bike racing because you'd be able to get off the line really, really quick. You'd have fantastic um, power for, for a short period uh, and you'd be able to cover a lot of things. So you, you'd do well in it. So maybe we'll have to get you on there after this and get you out there just to see what you can do I in the race. I don't know if that's true, John, because the, 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 about the five times I've been for a bike ride since I've stopped Ironman, well, you know, with other people, 
I was actually thinking about the other day when we were in Kona a few years ago. We went out for that ride with Ben Green, um, Green Greenfield. Remember, we went for that ride with him. We went, we went somewhere, and we did like I don't know. We did like a hundred k, and I yeah. was dying. And that, that was yeah. that, that was like six years ago, John. Uh, this is different stuff. This is you know you know, you'd be racing for twenty to forty minutes, and you've got to have high power off the line, and then you've just got to be tactically um, savvy, and then you've got to have a really good sprint. So as long as you've got enough juice in the tank for the sprint, um, yeah, I think you did pretty well. Okay, I'll take I'll take I'll take that if you're going to give it to me. Thank you very much, John. John Wanger of the week. Now you've got here mention the guy who has changed their phone ah. to the Tiger King. I've got to find who it was now. I just saw I was I was on here last night and I saw somebody had uh, changed their picture profile to the to the Nathan Bradford. Good on you. He's changed his. Uh, Have his you been profile. watching it, John? We've watched it. We haven't watched the the extra release that's just came out yesterday. I think. Is it worth a watch? Because we've just gone back to Netflix. We've been on Neon for a while. We've just gone back to Netflix. Should we watch it? It's sad. But it's fairly entertaining at okay. the same time. Okay. It's um, yeah, a, a lot of people will have watched it. It's uh, it's pretty weird, pretty out there. Okay, John. Today I'm going. It goes to 100, doesn't it? I don't it think does. I've ever done this before, John. 100. 100. Yeah. <laughs> this is an interesting name, uh, an interesting profile person. Search for pizza. Ooh, tell me it's, about it. It's, they did uh, 12 hours and 52 minutes exclusively on the bike. Uh, from six rides, they're from Adelaide, Australia. The profile picture is a male and a female. Plus, they've got pictures of koalas and some nice scenery. But then, uh, yeah, they're out riding still, keeping it local by the look of it. A little lap around Adelaide last week. Uh, but they did 12 hours and 52 minutes. Search for pizza. You are our winger of the week. Well, their fastest 5K, John, is 24 minutes for running. My fastest 5K on Strava, and I'm pretty sure this, I'm guaranteed this ain't accurate, but I'm quite happy for it to be there, 13.47, John. Well, funny you should say that, Bevan, because I did my virtual Ironman challenge at the weekend, and so it was a 3K, it was basically doing Olympic distance, 3K run, 40K bike, um, 10K run, and did my 3K, bang, I think I was just banging out just over four minute Ks for my my 3K, Um, had a little group ride on Zwift for the 40K, banged that out in about... 105, sort of 104, riding sort of Ironman power, and then thought, you know, I've just put a, a nice moderate effort in on the run. Sort yep. of, um, I wanted to be un- under four minute Ks for, yep. for the run. Came back, and I'd, I'd my watch was going crazy during the run. Came back, and somebody pointed out on Strava that I'd averaged uh, one minute per K. Mate, you're a world record breaker, you are. Mm. Mate, they need the Olympics now, and you need to be going there, John. Oh, I should, I should. So I was highly frustrated. <laughs> I did, I guess. I, I, my, I, oh, you go, you go. It was my second bout of frustration at the weekend because on Saturday, in my tactics, sort of been reading my Swift Insider website of the week, had my strategy all sorted for the bike race. So I have to race an A grade for our Triathlon New Zealand races, and there's no way I can keep up with the front of A grade. But I thought I'm got, I'm going to do everything I can to try to keep up. How long's the race? Twenty-seven k's. Oh, quite so it's hilly. all out. Okay. It was hilly twenty-seven k's. This one. It was on the um, UCI World Champs course that was in Yorkshire, um, and so I had my strategy. And I, I think I was first off the line. And you look at the coverage, and I'm in first place for about three seconds. And then you can see me drifting through the pack. And then my kicker goes zero. And you know, like going at zero on a with a with a kicker is like 
if you're in a bike race, you stop pedaling. Oh, it's no. like you go backwards so quickly, it's not even funny. And so then I'm out the back door. You know, it's only zeros for you know a couple of seconds or maybe even a second out the back door. Chase, I think I maybe got into the second group if I was lucky. Going, okay, I think this is probably where I belong. I can possibly hang this. Yeah. Zeros again. Oh. Then I'm at about the next back door, and then I'm sitting with uh, Craig Kirkwood and Andrea Hewitt in a group thing, and this is quite cool. We're actually we're not going all out, but it's kind of cool. People are rotating around, and there's a bit of change, and this could finish zero again. <laughs> and I had mul- and I was just lost the plot after that. <laughs> now, John, no. John, now that you're such an Instagram star, I saw a photo of you and Thomas doing a workout together, and and it was quite nice, father and son kind of training mm. together i noticed tom had the i am talk you've suit on looking like sharp in it yep. um but more importantly someone made a comment which i thought was quite true can you be any closer to your screen yes <laughs> uh, i have since uh, modified my setup slightly <laughs> but you've got to be able to reach to the screen to be able to change John, everything around you're, you're kissing the screen <laughs> yeah so i know <laughs> yeah i had some modifications have been made we've had we actually had a complete rejig around and so now thomas is nice and close we've got three screens in front of us so we've each got our own screen and then we've got one in the middle for entertainment purposes so yeah good times it's okay. uh it's, it's good times okay so once again search for pete's from adelaide in australia is this week's winger of the week john questions and answers. and answers we're gonna email through from brian laycock and it's got Always on the lookout for things to watch during easier training rides. I was very happy to hear Bevan mention that Triathlon Live TV is free for a year at the moment, so I signed up. John had recommended a couple of the early 1990s World Championship races as good ones to watch, but not knowing any of the history at that time, I thought I may as well start from the very beginning, 1989 in Avion. Uh, the video coverage that I Triathlon Live has for this race had a Japanese commentary team, but that doesn't matter. I could work out well enough what was happening. Mark Hallam seemed way back after this one, which was a surprise to me. But then again, I know little about that era, and perhaps that was normal for him. Not long after, was that normal for him, John? Um, I don't know about Olympic distance stuff. Uh, he was a good. I always remember the Kona coverage. He was he was pretty steady, you know, being that main pack, but not a stellar swimmer. Okay. Not long after that, uh, my computer unfortunately disconnected from the Wi-Fi, leaving me with a frozen image of a female athlete bent over in T1. Let's let's not even go there. Luckily for me, she stood sideways to the camera. Otherwise, I think they would have looked like I had to do some explaining to the wife as she came into the room. Oh, well. I decided to ignore the frozen footage and finish the workout. I could watch the rest next time. A couple days later, and... What's in my podcast feed? Another Legends of Triathlon, the Dave Scott episode mentioned on Iron Talk. I really enjoyed the podcast. However, and surely the ultimate lack of spoiler alert, Dave said Mark was over in Avion doing his thing. He won that. What? Who would have thought that the result of a 31-year-old race that was I was in part way through watching would be given away like that. I was certainly no one. Uh, uh, I was certainly no one I was in contact with was going to spoil it and then continue to watch it in a couple of days. What are the chances of Dave Scott ruining my race? Oh, Dave, damn you, Dave! Damn you, Dave! Yeah, good race in 1989. I, I do recall now that it is in Japanese, and um, yeah, but it was the first ever. Mark Allen, we know he won it. Who came? Was it the one pig came second? I think you could be right there. Uh, uh, if you haven't watched it, well, let's not spoil the women's race. Um, but I think you could be right that pig might have got second. Did, did pig win a world championship? Not to my recollection. Certainly not one of the ITU ones because nineteen. 
80, that was 89, 1990 certainly didn't, and then 91, no, he didn't. Okay, John, you got some other random stuff for this week. What's the random stuff? Random stuff. Uh, what was my random stuff? Yes, oh. so I, I mentioned the last weekend was the uh, Ironman Virtual Challenge second race with an Olympic duathlon, and I was thinking to myself, again, I was I, I was still not recovered properly from the half of my half Ironman efforts the weekend before, and doing that Olympic one, I was going, my God, my legs are still pretty sore, and I was thinking, if they if they put up another half Ironman this weekend, I'm history, I'm out. Uh, but this weekend is going to be a sprint distance duathlon, which could be good. Um, the other things that I watched the last couple of days on while well, I've been on the trainer was uh, watched the Super League athletes racing in a bike race. So kind of in the, the Zwift world, they've actually now got all these bike races and a bunch of triathletes are in, entering them. So they've actually got a Super League team that raced in, I think it was the London Classic last weekend, and they went up Box Hill at the very end. And I don't, I don't want to sp- boil it too much in terms of uh, how everybody goes but yeah Brownlee's in there so can you can go Van watch it on Swift can you uh, you can go and watch it on the Super League channel I think I watched it through on and YouTube. I'm actually on, on YouTube yep uh, I think I, actually I watched it through the Facebook page and I'm actually going to go on there today's today's racing is going to be the females which I think raced overnight so the Super League female team was going to be in that um, but probably the most impressive thing that a lot of people were talking about was Lionel Sanders who won a Zwift race against some top top cyclists the other day uh, by absolutely pumping it with a breakaway so uh, he's clearly in some pretty good shape so hopefully he gets to do some racing sometime soon good times it's, it's, it's like it's going back to the question of the week this week. There is some cool stuff coming out at this moment, isn't there? There is. In the Zwift racing, uh, yesterday I rode up Alp de Zwift, which is the um, uh, Zwift's version of Alp de Wiz. And while I was doing that, the team Ineos, so they're the, 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 the team of uh, Karen Thomas and Chris Froome and Brunel, the guy who won the Tour de France last year, they were basically doing a full team race up there at the same st- stage. So I started the footage. We were we started and we were probably maybe three or four K ahead by the time they started, the Ineos team, and they passed us pretty quickly. Oh, so that uh, could happen. Could you be doing your ride and they pass you? They weren't in the race. I just oh. had it playing on the screen next okay. to us. Um, so, so that's all good. So, yeah, lots of things you can and can't be doing. Do you think it was going to change your training much after this fact? No, I like being outside. I mean, I I am, and along with a lot of other people, uh, really enjoying the online experience through riding with other people. But if it was me just riding by myself on there, it wouldn't be the same same for me. But when I'm organising these meetups, doing races, etc., that certainly added a lot to the experience. But in terms of me just getting on there and doing workouts, I'd, I'd much rather be outside. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, John, let's talk about our patrons. I'm going to go first. Brett, Wya, Chen. Ian Powerhouse Robertson. We've got Douglas, the speed merchant, Patton Jones. If you want to become a patron of I Am Talk, support the show, and also Legends of Triathlon, you can go to www.iamtalk.me, click on the patron link, and it just helps you support the boys in the show. If you want to get an email to you, down the bottom of the front page, put your information in. If you want some great coaching from a coach, Coach John Newsom's the man to talk to. If you want to check out my podcast, I've got a good interview coming up next week with a top fitness professional, uh, bevanjamesisles.com. Uh, other content, age group of the week, cool websites, other feedback. <laughs> What's up? I am from podcast at gmail.com. You see, I've got another great interview coming up uh, with a great fitness professional, um, and then you went Bevan James Isles, so I was wondering if you interviewed yourself. Oh, no, no, go to my website, Bevan James Isles. Yeah, I, I interview myself every day, John. Do, an up, <laughs> do a wrap-up. 
know? It is funny because in my other show, I, I, I do... I do, I do an interview show and then I do just a me talking show and it's quite different when you do like because this is just kind of a conversation around topics it is it's a lot more work having to do a show where you literally talk for like it's only about 40 minutes but I do have to do a lot more prep than I do with this show I tell you uh, Jombo your goss that's my goss um, do you know what's amazing is Rubik's Cubes can you do my it? kids my kids yeah, have learned that. all the algorithms yeah. it is amazing yeah they get they have a race with the, the thomas has got all these cubes he's got like a a two by two a three by three a four by four whatever and they'll have a race he'll be able to solve three rubik's cubes within you know yeah. within a very short period of time right. and then I've, I've tried doing the little algorithm with the two by two and i lose my, my concentration my patience after a little period amazing if you want your kids to get something interesting it's uh i'm fascinated that, do you remember by that movie will smith was it the art of happiness remember that one Mm-hmm. And, and that's what kind of made that guy famous well not made him famous but gave him opportunity because it was when the Rubik's Cube first came out mm-hmm. and kind of nobody could do it and he figured it out and he was kind mm-hmm. of like a guy who was living on the street kind of lost everything in life and he, he'd go to like these interviews and he'd do the Rubik's Cubes and people are like oh my god this guy's a phenomenon you know and that yeah. kind of opened some doors for him I always just used to do the thing where you yeah, know you pull, pull a corner yeah. out pull yeah. a corner yeah. out Dismantle the whole thing, you put it back together. I remember my mum's best friend when it first came out, she got it and she stayed up all night one night and managed to do it. Like she literally like took her twenty four hours, but she she conquered it. Mm. But yeah, yeah, it's definitely the, al- the algorithms uh, that they come up with. Uh, they just have to keep repeating the algorithm, repeat it, repeat it, repeat it. You get one side done, and then you move on. Then you've got a uh, yeah. It's very systematic. It's uh, very impressive. Outside of that, Bevan, it's. Uh, well, well, just go back to that question. What's something that you do, that you're doing? Maybe just that you maybe wouldn't normally do, right now in your life. Uh, well, because we work from home, it's a little bit different. But I'm yeah. certainly riding my indoor bike a lot more. Certainly enjoying the the doing the meetups and having a bit of uh, a bit of um, communication with athletes in there. What are we doing other than that? Just um, more time with the kids, trying to get them learning. They're back to school tomorrow um, in terms of uh, remote learning, which will be uh, good. But yeah, but just doing more stuff with the kids and keeping them motivated. Set up the garage to uh, with the basically the cars not in the garage any longer. We've set up a gym in there um, with some carpet down doing the les mills exercises got the the bikes set up on the kickers and um yeah not drastically drastically different no. Bevan, what about you what's happening i'm definitely cooking i'm cooking a meal all a week it's a big oh. thing for me you know i tell you the one thing there you go is shopping for a full week because we, we're going once a week and that's it um or do you I normally need- go more than once well, because we're so close to the supermarket, yeah, we just okay. pop down to get one or two things here or there, you know, one main shop, but actually planning, and, and we always shop to a list, but actually going, right, we've got to get everything for one week, plus I'm shopping for my parents. It's a pretty pretty full bloody trolley. Uh, that's been good exercise. Why are you spending more money on food? Well, no, now you get a realistic indication of exactly what you are spending a week, and uh, because there's no other extras. So it's, it, from a budgeting point of view, you go, oh, that's exactly how much I'm spending a week. Oh, Interesting. There you go. You know, so because one thing, because normally in our life, I teach fitness at night. So I normally don't get home pretty much every night of the week until 7 o'clock. Um, and so what's happening now, because I'm home, on a Thursday I'm making dinner. And so mm. I've done, what do I do? A falafel burgers, which actually went down a treat. And then I did... Did you make the falafel or did you just bought a know, can of I made the falafel, John. Don't, don't, don't underestimate my cooking ability. Yeah. Um, and then last week I made a kumra curry. Mm-hmm. Yep. So I'm, um, nice. now the key, John, is when it comes to cooking, get a recipe, stick to the recipe. You can't go wrong. That's yeah. whereas my wife, she's a brilliant cook, but she's creative. She adds bits and pieces. I wouldn't do that. 
there's not in the recipe, it ain't happening. Yeah, I'm sort of some torn in between, and I get told off uh, for going off piste quite a little, quite a bit when I uh, start adding random things in. Do you? <laughs> so we're, we went for a run up Harry L the other day, and that's within my bubble. I'm allowed to do that. Uh, but we got a holy hammer. He was going up Harry L. Now is that in his bubble, John? This is the question. Well, it depends how you how you measure these things. As far as a crow flies, he's pretty close to home from there. Yep, that's what I'm thinking. I'm giving him the yes because mm. as far as the crow flies, I can get to Rapeki. Nice. And it's, that's 5K. So if, if, if Murray can do that, I can do my Rapeki loop. It's a win-win for both of us. Tell mm. you what, because yesterday in Christchurch, there was meant to be a southerly coming through. Just um, a cold, cold wind. And, and often usually rain and crap. It's kind of the worst weather we get really, isn't it, southerly? Mm. So, and it was a beautiful morning, but the southerly was meant to be coming through around lunchtime. So Joe and I, I had to do 8Ks. So... We went down to the bottom of the hill and went for a run, and I've never seen so many people out on the roads. It, it was unbelievable how many people, like, like everyone was pretty happy out there walking, running, and exercising. But it was seriously like zombie land. It was just I've just never like just on public roads, the amount of people I'm running because I was trying to do a pretty decent run. So. You, 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 I was, it got to the point where I was just yelling at people, move left! Because <laughs> it, it was just, actually, it's just such an interesting time we live in right now, John. That's right. Okay, uh, we've John. got another Legends of Triathlon podcast coming your way maybe next week or the week after, so uh, look forward to that, and we'll be back next week. Okay, let's rock it out, John. I'm Russ. I'm Mendo. Train hard. Train smart. Kia, Kia kaha. Kaha. Good shit. Uh-